श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय गो भक्तवृंद की जाय गो Good morning again, everyone. Nice to be with you. How is the translation going to work? Simultaneously. Simultaneously. So, those of you who don't speak English, I guess you hear it, huh? You have some system for hearing, understanding. Good. Good. All the familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces. Yes, to be with you. I wanted to uh, speak a little bit during this visit from Chaitanya Charitamrita. And recently I finished writing a commentary on the auspicious invocation, the Mangala Charan of the Chaitanya Charitamrita that uh, consists of 14 verses. Some of them are originally composed by the author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami, and some of them are composed by um, other significant, important members of our Sampradaya who were Guru figures in the life of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, Rupa Goswami, Srupadamana Goswami, for example. The Mangala Charn, as I say, is an auspicious invocation, so kind of a sacred uh, preface, to use an English term. And much of the philosophy of the book is contained really within those verses that Krishnadas himself elaborates upon over the first seven chapters of his book. All this comes before the the explanation of how he came to write the book and the introduction of all of the different players in the drama of Gaur-lila, the significant ones, the branches on the metaphorical tree of love of God that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the, the planter of, cultivator of the tree itself. Hmm? Um, and before the, the narrative, the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu begins. Hmm? Krishnas Kaviraj wrote the Chaitanya Charitamrita when he was very old. It's possible also that he had thoughts similar to those of my Guru Maharaj, who at times expressed his concern and doubt as to whether or not he would be able to finish his uh, ideal of translating Srimad Bhagavatam into English, Twelve Cantos. Of course, he didn't finish it. He went into about the 14th, 13th chapter of the 10th canto. Hmm. 
So it's possible that Kaviraj Goswami was thinking along those lines himself about his own work. Hmm? And in his commentary, as I say on the first 14 verses, he certainly puts a lot of the uh, philosophy hmm? and theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, I've written a commentary on it, and as I say, I thought I'd speak a little bit uh, from it. It's being edited now, and it's kind of percolating in my mind a little bit as the editor complains about one thing or another or makes different suggestions. And um, I haven't written an introduction to the book itself yet, but I think that I will explain what I'll explain to you herein, perhaps as that being a central feature of the induction, introduction to the book. And that is the, the way in which I have written the commentary. I want to use three terms, Sanskrit terms that you may be familiar with, that have different applications. Adidaivik, Adibotic and Adiatmic. You might have heard of the terms. Sometimes we hear of them in terms of miseries of the world. They're Adiatmic, Adibotic, Adidaivic miseries. So Adiatmic means miseries coming from the mind and the body. Atma also means body and mind. It means self, and we have a material sense of self that in, involves a physiological and psychological dimension. Hmm? So we experience miseries in this world coming from our own body and mind, mostly the mind. <laughs> and, uh, and then there are also miseries that we experience in relation to other um, entities, hmm? bhotik, adibhotik, hmm? so to others. And then there's adidaivik, and daiva here means daivinitrani, means the godly factor. So things beyond our control, let us say the movements of nature, like a like a volcano or an earthquake. Hmm? So these things may also cause misery, suffering for us. So this is a common way in which most of you may be familiar with um, Understanding these these terms, adiatmic, adibotic, and adidaivic. Hmm. But um, also the uh, the texts, the sacred texts, our revelation. It's kind of the map, if you will, of um, our spiritual pursuit. Um, as we know. The core texts that our map is drawn from are also core texts for other lineages, other sampradayas, other schools of thought. We interpret them in a particular way. The founders of our lineage, the Goswamis, Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, for example, Krishna Kaviraj Goswami, following. Um, just, just after them, in his his writing, um, 
all of this work constitutes a particular interpretation of the sacred texts that makes for a lineage. And besides the fact that they've explained the texts in a particular way to establish a lineage, there's also the possibility of within that lineage of commenting on the texts from different perspectives, from an adiatmic, an adibotic, an adidaivic perspective. And what I mean by that is that that the adiatmic perspective, in the way that I'm speaking about it, is the perspective that in which we tend to try to fit the subjective world into the objective world. Now, when I say subjective world and objective world, uh, these are words, subjective and objective, that are used in many different ways, so let me try to be clear what I mean when I um, invoke them. Subjective, by subjective I mean the world of consciousness, the world of thought, and thought beyond mind, for that matter. Hmm. Um, Mind is also subjective in one sense, but we look at it from our point of view of Vedanta as kind of a semi Kind of a, well, we call it subtle matter. Hmm? It has a subjective quality to it, but it's not the pure subjectivity of consciousness itself. So consciousness, here I'm referring to the consciousness world, hmm? beyond the psychic and the physical dimensions of experience, the world of the experiencer itself. So consciousness may experience through the psychic dimension or through the physical dimension, but psychic consciousness is doing the experiencing. Hmm. And so the world of pure experience, hmm, the subjective world, this is, the Atma is, uh, using the term as the soul, if you will, is a unit of that world. And indeed, it is a world. Chaitanya Charitamrita seeks to plumb the depths of that world, to go deep into the ocean of consciousness and find out all the possibilities that lie there. The beginning of discussion about consciousness in the circle of transcendentalists is to distinguish consciousness from matter or the subjective world from the objective world. So when I use objective, I'm speaking about the material world, the world of objects, the world of things that, as I often say, derive their meaning from ourselves, who project meaning onto them, project values onto them, and so forth. Hmm? So, from the adhyatmic perspective, the devotee is more identified in reality with their psychic and physical dimensions, with the material sense of self. Theoretically, they're identified with the subjective world, 
the world of consciousness. But in reality, in everyday reality, they are more identified with the objective world. And the whole task, if you will, for the uh, uh, sadhaka is to change that shift, make a shift there. The real world is the subjective world, but we think the real world is the physical world. And so from the adhyatmic perspective, as a devotee, then we seek to validate the subjective world by some objective criterion. We try to fit the subjective world into the objective world and make it real. Even though we know theoretically that, um, and we, we've heard that, uh, that the material world is not real and that it's here today and gone tomorrow, it's not sat, it's not free from transformation, it's not enduring in any of its appearances, and so on and so forth. Still, our identification with the objective world, with our sense that we are Polish or we are um, Finnish or English uh, or American, so forth, is very strong, very powerful. Hmm? And so, um, from this condition, trying to approach really the depths, as I say, of the subjective world, hmm? um, sometimes we are taught about the subjective world in a way that conforms more to our conditioning, hmm? our adhyatmic perspective, that we might identify with it more, that we might kind of get a grip on the subjective. Hmm? If you follow me, we might measure it, contain it, hmm? um, which is what we do in the objective world with things. Hmm? So we try to take something that's not a thing, consciousness and all the possibilities of the consciousness world culminating in Krishna Lila, let us say. And we hear about them and from um, great persons in our lineage in an, from an adiatmic perspective. This is useful for us to a point. Um, from this perspective we tend to uh, have a more literal understanding of the texts, hmm? which enables us again to try to get a grip on it, to 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 con- to, to contain it, to measure it. To, hmm? Hmm? So this has value. Hmm? Got to get some standing, so to speak. My Gurmarsh often spoke and wrote in that way, from that perspective, hmm? on Chaitanya Vaishnavism. And it was very effective in uh, in his time. Um, I can remember as a young man uh, wanting to know how to meditate. I used to sit and think, "What will I do with my life?" And you know, you think, "I could be a doctor. I could be a lawyer. I could do this. I could be that." And everything that I thought of, it would 
I would say, well, no, it comes to an end. It's it has its it, it's finite. It's it doesn't satisfy me. I had a very kind of a sattvic uh, perspective in which one cannot feel content with the idea of living in a world that I guess doesn't endure. Um, so. I came to the conclusion that I should uh, I should transcend the world, and I wanted to know how to meditate. But there wasn't a lot of information about how to meditate. And um, amongst some of those who were giving information about meditation in other schools, they tended to give a different, sometimes a different perspective than the than an adhyatmic perspective, which sounds interesting as compelling. Um, but um, may not be as effective because it, you know, there's a time when you need to grab onto something, hold onto something, and, and get some your bearings, so to speak, hmm? and proceed. So Prophet gave a very like it's like this and it's not like that. Hmm? Very kind of uh, in, a, in a sense a kind of a, a black and white understanding. No, it's not like this. This is bogus. This is, and it was comforting. And many people were able to catch on to that, hold on to that, and and it was the points he was making were, were, were quite true. Um, I was recently um, I had an encounter with a fellow um, who got involved in, uh, in 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 Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, and. Um, what he considered the monistic uh, perspective, and um, he made the point that the Buddha teaches that grasping or wanting to attain something is the problem, hmm? and and then of course he took it to this point where a lot of people do in in Buddhism, which is, in my opinion, kind of an overthinking, but and to the point of saying. And the grasping for not grasping, hmm, that must also be given up. Hmm. If you think the grasping for things is the problem, then I will grasp for not grasping. I will aspire to be a non-grasper. A non, and so you effectively kind of do away with spiritual practice. <laughs> In the, in, in, the, in the course of the discussion, and, and, and then you arrive at nirvana without changing anything in your life, and nirvana is samsara, and, uh, and, and, and those who are grasping for spiritual attainment and so forth, they're in the biggest illusion of all. Um, so Prabhupada was helpful to us <laughs> in avoiding this such sophistry. Hmm? And uh, I made the point that that grasping, if you are to give up for, for, for grasping and then give up for grasping for not grasping, then you have to give up for grasping for not grasping for not grasping. <laughs> and there's no end to this. Hmm. So, so, I mean, the Buddha put it very simply. Hmm. Many people have written after him, almost it would seem in a way as if to do away with the simplicity of it, which 
simple in explanation is difficult in application. Hmm? His simple explanation was that the world is about suffering hmm? and that the suffering derives from grasping or wanting, thirsting, hmm? attachment for things. Hmm? And so giving up the attachment was the way to end suffering. And there was an eightfold way of doing that. There was actually a practice that he put forward. Hmm? So it's very simple, hmm? but it's in explanation, but it's very difficult in application. It's very difficult to give up thirsting for things. Hmm? Um, and so there may be a way to think about it over generations and times and centuries, and especially with, the, with Western entrepreneurialism in such a way that you can make it easier, so to speak, without having to give up anything. When you say trying to give up something, that is also a grasping and, <laughs> and, and so forth. So, in Prabhupada, um, many times, and, and to a large extent, commented, as I'm saying, from an adhyatmic perspective, which took the subjective world and kind of put it, try to fit it in the objective world. Hmm? Hmm. I mean, to some extent. And spoke in a literal way, more of a literal way, mm-hmm. explaining the texts. Mm-hmm. And for important reasons, if he was asked, for example, why does Arjun's chariot have five horses? What is the meaning of the five horses? He would say, it takes five horses to run a chariot. In other words, he didn't want the chariot to disappear, the leela of Krishna to disappear, so on and so forth. Hmm. Um, the idea that Krishna is a person is very, very esoteric, actually. Extremely esoteric. Even though it can be presented in a way that seems very literal and kind of uh, black and white and a more nuanced metaphorical explanation seems more broad and, and, and um, um, uh, posits greater meaning and so forth. And there's some truth to that, but the idea that the God, that the world existence is a person and it's not us, that's very esoteric, um, and that we are part of that, that we are living um, elements of the dream of God. That's a very different perspective for us to think about ourselves from than the one that we normally do and the one from which we function. The way we go about life. Um, so, um, Prabhupada wanted to make kind of that point clear mm, that there is a personality of God, that there is something called Leela. Mm. It is, it's, it's an ontological reality, it's not just a story. It has some meaning that we can take, and the, and the Leela will disappear. Mm. Um, so, so, he spoke in such a way as to, as to make that clear. And to do so, he spoke often in a very literal way. Hmm? And uh, it gave us very much um, like something to hang on to, so to speak, and, and then invest ourselves seriously in spiritual practice, from which, of course, experience should come. Hmm? As experience comes and the extent to which it comes, hmm? then the black and white nature of the explanation hmm, is understood in perspective, and the gray nature 
if you will, of the world of, of, of consciousness and all the possibilities there, the possibility of different interpretations of the same verse that are both right, that are both arise out of the same canvas of, for example, in our school, Achinti Beda Beda, this is the canvas. It's not an Advaitin. It's a it's a it's Advaigan. It's non-dual, the canvas on which the Lila, the art of Krishna Lila is is manifest. But it's not um, but it's not the Advaitin conception of non-duality. The Gaudiya conception of non-duality. We'll come to that as we continue our discussion of the Mongol verses. But the point I'm making is there's an adhyatmic perspective. Hmm? And it may be useful to speak about the tradition, our particular Gaudi interpretation of core text from that perspective. It can be very helpful to us. And it also, at a certain point, it can be problematic for us. Hmm? So... Sometimes a teaching may be useful to us for a cert- to a certain point to bring us to a certain understanding and level, and then at a certain point, um, Pujapatrita Maharaj was fond of saying, acceptance and elimination, this is the way of progress. We have to accept something, the same thing may need to be eliminated at a later stage. We saw it was provisional, helping us to a point, and so forth. Hmm? To underscore this point, uh, he encouraged us to read Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Sri Krishna Sanghita. In Sri Krishna Sanghita, uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur states that the, I believe it's there, that the, the commentaries of the Goswamis on the Bhagavatam are for... Um, are more or less, he says, to use the terms I'm using, largely from an adhyatmic perspective. And in Krishna Samhita, he wanted to give what I'm calling an adhibotic perspective or um, way of commenting on the texts. I'll explain what I mean by that, the adhibotic perspective. But let me first say that the Adidaivic perspective and the Adiyatmic perspective have many similarities. Hmm? Hmm. They can look uh, the same, but they're very different. The task is to go from the Adiyatmic perspective to the Adibotic perspective to the Adidaivic perspective. And that which is then provisional in the adhyatmic perspective, is uh, is left behind in the course of coming to the adhibotic perspective and one can enter into the adhyatmic perspective. Let me say what I mean by that. If you just hear about Krishna Leela, the stories of Krishna Leela, hmm, literally, hmm, this is the Adi, the Adi, the Adi, the Adi. This is the uh, the Adi Divic perspective, and this is the Adiatmic perspective. The difference between the two, in one sense, is that in the Adi Divic perspective, one can write the leelas. 
one can effectively imagine the leelas hmm? with a spiritualized mind. Hmm? Hmm. This is the nature of bhava. There is a world of bhava, Krishna leela, hmm? world of bhava. Hmm? And the... Um, and means a world of bhakti. Hmm? And... Heard the desire of Bhagawan, Bhakti is creating hmm, newer and newer leelas for him to participate in. Hmm? Uh, what he wants, it happens. What a great soul in Leela wants, it happens. Hmm? He only wants for the satisfaction of Krishna, but in a particular way, and it manifests. Hmm? So there's, a, there's our Goswamis have written Leela. Hmm? Not just explained Leela, but they have actually written Leela. Hmm? They have... Um, it's, uh, it's not a limited affair, so Leelas are ever-expanding and so forth. Prem is full, but always expanding. Hmm? So, in the Adiatmic perspective, we can't write Leela. Hmm? We can learn the leelas, we can hear them, we can learn the stories and so forth. Hmm? We'll learn them. It will be good for us, it will help us, it will purify our hearts and so forth. As we become purified, we will come to more to, to an adibautic perspective. Hmm? And, and that will be a, a very important uh, stage of, of growth, hmm? where the intellect becomes more engaged in uh, in bhakti. And so, Bhakti Thakur in his Krishna Samhita was concerned that this type of body bhautic perspective on the text would be made available. So I have tried to write this commentary from the Adi bhautic perspective. The Adi bhautic perspective is Adi bhautic here meaning others, right? In consideration of others. So here, in consideration of other thoughts, streams of thought, in the world, hmm? um, where then you you deconstruct hmm, to some extent, for example, the leelas, and speak about the underlying philosophical basis of them, hmm? the points that might be derived from the leela philosophically that we could apply in our everyday lives to better enter into them. Hmm? To hear the Leela and draw um, meaningful insights to inform our practice. Hmm? And that, in consideration of the world in which we live. As I said, we're living in the objective world, although we're subjective. We're identified with the objective world. While the Atmic perspective tries to fit the subjective world in the objective world, the Adidaivic perspective fits the objective world in the subjective world. And the Adibotic perspective, we, 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 <laughs> we consider that, that we are from the subjective world, but we're in the objective world. We try to balance the two and, and understand better the subjective world 
in light of the objective world, look at the objective world in such a way that will shed better light, more light on the subjective world. And for that, we take into consideration streams of thought from other people, from other lineages, from religious and non-religious people, hmm? about the nature of being, the nature of reality, the world, and we, we look at our tradition in, in, in relation to that. So, adibotic, I mean, hearing in relation to others. Hmm? Um, when we preach like this from the adibotic perspective, then we are not preaching to the choir, so to speak. When we preach from the adiatmic perspective, we're preaching more to the choir, if you know the term. Hmm? Those who already basically agree. Hmm? Um, uh, so, as I say, I try to write a little bit from the adi, adibotic uh, perspective hmm? and consider other streams of thought in the world hmm? other um, that and how they might correspond with what we are teaching um, how they may not hmm? um, and it involves somewhat of an exercise of harmonizing the adiatmic perspective the heart the faithful heart there with the head and the reasoning Hmm. Um, that that um, that if we listen to the world at all, which is almost unavoidable today. When I was much younger, in Prabhupada's mission, there were times when I didn't know who the president of America was. Now it's difficult to not know who won the Super Bowl. I mean, even if you didn't want to know. Uh, the Internet has so much information, and, and there's so much so many ways in which people are communicating and so forth, information about the world, the objective world. It's hard not to be in touch with things even you don't want to know about. And so we're very much bombarded with, uh, with the thought of, of the world, so to take it and think about it in light of our tradition and so forth and examine the tradition from that perspective and, and so forth. This is a very um, powerful exercise uh, ultimately a spiritual exercise for the intellect that should serve, if it's done under good guidance, to strengthen our heart, to make our faith, our tender faith, hmm, um, uh, s- stronger. Hmm? Just as if you were to take steel hmm, and then put it in the fire. And then just when it starts, just before it starts to melt, then you bring it out into the cold. Then it becomes stronger. Then again, you put it in the fire. So what I also mean by this is that intellect is, in itself is not a vehicle to take us into the paravyom, into the spiritual world, into the subjective world. It is also objective from our perspective and character. So it cannot be a chariot to take us to the subjective world. To go to the spiritual world, we need a spiritual vehicle. We need one of those Vaikuntha chariots to come <laughs> and take us there. We need Garuda to come and pull us by the seeker. I don't know what the women will do in that case, but I'm just kidding, of course. So. These are, again, some adhyatmic perspectives, if you will. 
uh, Gerda will come in and pull you from the ocean of material existence. You can take it literally, or there's other ways to think about that, of course. And once Sridhar Marsh was sitting on his chair, on his veranda, he was telling us how he, he, he realized what it meant when it was said in the scriptures that the Vaikuntha chariot comes, like Dhruva, the chariot from Vaikuntha came to take him, Vaikuntha airplane came to take him. He stepped on the head of death, wasn't it? Hmm? And entered into the plane and brought his mother with him, I think, wasn't it? Hmm? Something like, brought his guru with him. Hmm? So, we probably shouldn't wait for one of those to land in in, in um, Krakow. Hmm. Um, but we might think like that for some time. It might be useful for us. Sridhar said, is explaining how he had experience hmm, of his whole, his senses, his mind being taken over hmm, by an unseen force, bhakti. And and that he was lifted up like this. And, and he said, then I could understand the meaning of the chariot coming to take me and these kind of ideas. Hmm. So, point is that if for uh, going to the spiritual world, we need a spiritual vehicle. And the vehicle is called Shraddha, faith. Hmm? Um, by this we mean divine faith, faith in Uttam Bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti is the vehicle in one sense, but faith in Bhakti is required to tread the path of Bhakti. Hmm? And faith from Bhakti comes from, well, from Bhakti. Hmm? From bhaktas who have bhakti by their association, then we, it's contagious. We get that faith. We get faith in a particular kind of bhakti, uttam bhakti, a certain orientation to bhakti. Bhakti is the is the internal energy of Krishna, his sarup shakti, the essence of that. So it's one of the forces of the world in this world. It's the it's the subjective force in the objective world. Karma is the other force. Hmm? We're moving according to the force of karma and we may come in touch with the force of bhakti which is also moving in the world. That will be our good fortune. That is said to be our bhagya, our good luck. Hmm? There's no reason for it happening. But bhaktas are doing bhakti and they're doing it everywhere as far as they can and wide and far and wide as the Kripa Shakti of Bhagawan, that agency through which his, his mercy is distributed. Hmm? Wherever Bhakti goes, Krishna has to go there. He puts the distribution of Bhakti in the hands of his devotees because he's he's partial to them. He's impartial in general, but partial to his devotees. Because he's partial to his devotees, the right to give Bhakti, he gives to them. Hmm? Wherever they give Bhakti, he has to go. He has no choice in the matter. Hmm? That's his own arrangement. <laughs> hmm? And so when we come in touch with that force of bhakti in the world, then gradually it will take the shape of, of shraddha, faith, divine faith. Hmm? This is a proper vehicle then for going from this side to that side. Hmm? Intellect's not the proper vehicle but faith should consume the intellect. Hmm? 
as it should consume the senses and therefore cause us to act in a way in which our senses are only in touch with sense objects for the sake of serving Krishna. Hmm? That's, the, that's what we mean by asadakadeha, having a, the, the practitioner's body as spiritual. As much as our senses are in touch with sense objects, only with the purpose of satisfying the senses of Krishna, Rishikesh. Rishikena Rishikesha Sevanam Bhakti Ruchate. This is Bhakti. Sarvopadi Vinir Muktam Tatparatvena Nirmalam. Bhakti is not just loving devotion. People have loving devotion for music, they have loving devotion for for all kinds of things, for their countries, for their families. Bhakti is sarvopadi vanir muktam. That's why Prabhupada would say it's not just a faith, not just a belief, it's a science, something like that. He would use these terms. Sarvopadi means that all these ideas, that I'm Polish, that I'm American, that I'm a man, that I'm a woman, loving devotion from that perspective is not bhakti. If I'm, let's say I'm an American, of course there are many types of Americans, but the ugly American, let's say, the more well-known one, perhaps. And so I want to love the world. Hmm? Then I want to make the whole world American. Hmm? Of course, I don't realize that the only reason I can be an American is because the rest of the world can't be American. Hmm? And I have to have some countries to exploit and so forth, and cheap labor and and, and, and so on, hmm? and sell the things that are banned in America, you know, to other countries. And, uh, I don't mean to get too political here, but uh, but <laughs> I think you understand my point. Uh, that type of American wants to love sometimes and do good hmm? and kill people hmm? and steal from people and exploit people and so forth. They don't see it like that, but we might see it like that. We have our own upadi. I'm Polish. I don't want to be Russian. Thank you. Hmm. But I don't want to be Russian. So the Ukrainians, they don't want to be Russians, some of them. <laughs> and some of them. See, so loving Russia, loving Ukraine can cause people from from Holland and, and Australia to die in a plane crash. Hmm. And so, so it was problematic. Hmm. So this is not bhakti. Hmm. Bhakti means sarvopadi vanir muktam. That all these designations, they removed. American, Polish, Indian, man, woman, so on and so forth. Hmm. And you know, to the extent that they are removed and identify myself as Krishna Das. Hmm. Krishna Dasi. Hmm. In this way. Then, from that perspective, I move in the world in such a way as to try to, with everything I come in touch with, with my senses, satisfy the senses of Krishna. That is bhakti. It's a very otherworldly idea. And so, one of the things, if you will, is intellect. So intellect needs to be used. It's really most beautiful 
intellect, reasoning, when it becomes a subordinate to faith, when intellect is used to support the scriptural argument, revelation, to expand upon its meaning, its implications in different times and places and circumstances and so forth. Having some taste for that, some feeling for that subject, then one can reason according to feeling, which is what we do. Anyway, we all reason according to our feelings. Even every scientific idea starts with with some type of premise. Take evolution, for example. Darwin thought, had an idea, and he went to see if he could validate it. He had a feeling. See if he could validate it by empirical evidence. It's thought that science is without any preconceived idea and so forth. But the history, but the, the fact is that scientists, science may be like that, but scientists cannot be like that. Because scientists, after all, are what? Human. <laughs> human. You know, is humanity a problem, or is it? We say that that man and woman are made in the image of Radha and Krishna. So uh, the frailties the, uh, of, of humanity, hmm? they have an advantage, actually. Then there's the possibility of loving and and so forth and so on. Um, but with regard to understanding something objectively and so forth, we need some objectivity. Hmm? So science prides itself in being objective, and court, but the scientists are human. So um, naturally there will be biases, there will be preconceived notions that even un- unknowingly we try to validate. Hmm? in our pursuit, then we read the evidence accordingly, interpret it accordingly. So everybody does this feeling. We're all moving according to feeling. Hmm? And of course, Gaudiya Vaishnavism says that's a good idea, but it has. But then you have to use your intelligence such a, such a way that the love, the feeling, becomes wise love. Hmm? So there's a, there's a, so as I say, faith then in the pursuit of love hmm? involves making reason a assistant in that affair, not the guide. It will, if it's the guide, then it will do away with love. Hmm. Do you understand? If we make reason only the guide, then love will start to become unappealing. Hmm? Just a feeling. Hmm. Not true. It doesn't stand to reason. Love does not answer to reason. Um, so with the spiritual world the world of love if we try to go there by our intellect hmm, you see the self consciousness as we know from our theory hmm, is not subordinate to intellect not only is it superior to intellect it is categorically different than intellect it is not within the material hierarchy it's spiritual it's not from the objective world it's from the subjective world hmm? So intellect cannot shed light hmm, and fully I- and illuminate 
that which is luminous on its own. Hmm? What can any light of the world, whether it be a fire or a light bulb, do to illuminate the sun? That's a meaningless idea. So when we say that that, that consciousness is, is chit, means it means it's luminous, self-luminous. It has the possible capacity to illuminate other things, and it itself is luminous. So there's the element of perception, illuminating other things. This is an aspect of consciousness, of the Atma, of the self. And it itself is, is luminous. So, intellect is not going to, to, I must say, objectively prove the existence of the soul. It's outside of its, the courtroom. It won't show up consciousness in the court of intellect. Neither God. Hmm? So intellect is in itself, if we try to go there by this method alone, we'll be repelled from there. Hmm? So there's a very tricky exercise when we try to harmonize our heart with our head and the thoughts of the world hmm? and put the metal, as I say, of our faith into the fire and bring it out in time before it melts. Uh, it just becomes liquid. <laughs> and it's, 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 it, it, it's no longer hmm, can serve the purpose that metal is intended to serve. Hmm? But it's an important um, exercise. Bhaktivinoda thought so enough to pen his book uh, Krishna Samhita and try to think about, talk about Gaudiya Vaishnavism hmm? in relation to th- thoughts of others and other philosophies and so forth. Previously it was um, more insular or in its time, hmm? the time of Krishnadas Kaviraj, we can see from his writing he took into consideration some streams of thought from Advaita Vedanta, some streams of thought from Ramanuja, hmm? um, some from Madhva and so forth, some of the thinkers of the time. Hmm? But uh, that would be very insular if we were only to do that comparatively. Hmm? While the Goswamis and Krishna's Kaviraj were aware of the thought of currents of their times, we live in different times, there are different thought currents and so forth. Hmm? So, to, when we're being bombarded by them, so to think about them in relation to Gaudiya Vaishnavism in our tradition, this seems like a useful, meaningful um, exercise. And so I've tried to write the, my commentary on the text somewhat from that uh, perspective. So when you do get a chance to read it in the future, hopefully in your own languages, um, if it sounds a little different than, than some of the ways you've heard things, this is my explanation of why it is so. It's not too different. I think you'll, you'll appreciate it. Hmm. Um, so that said that was my introduction that said um, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami's uh, Mangalachar and his sacred preface begins with a a verse uh, that he where he offers his respects hmm, to the, to the Panchatattva and the Guru principle Bande Gurun Ishavatan Ishan Ishavatarakam Tat Prakasham Sutat Chakni 
Shakti Krishna Chaitanya Samnakam. This is the beginning of Chaitanya Charitamrita. And it tells us that the book is, in one sense, a explanation of the doctrine of the Panchatattva, these five principles. Um, the, the Godhead, the expansion of the Godhead in other forms for Leela, the avatar of the Godhead, that means the Godhead appearing in the objective world, expansions as in the in the Paravyom in the spiritual world. Avatar means some manifestation of the Godhead coming within the objective world. And and then the Shaktis. The two two principal Shaktis that he uh, are included in this doctrine are the the Surup Shakti that bhakti is constituted of, and the tatasta shakti that we are constituted of. And, of course, then there are personalities that represent, embody, personify these features. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Godhead himself, Nityananda Prabhu, the expansion, for Lila, Advaita, the avatar, Mahavishnu, to whom all the avatars come, who manifest the objective world, Hmm? where the interaction between the subjective and the objective world has its beginnings. Hmm? Then, um, Shivas as the representation of the Tatasta Shakti, hmm? both the, the, the Nitya Siddha hmm? and Sadhana Siddha, uh, expressions of the Tasta Shakti. And then the quiet part, uh, really, the, 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 the more subdued, uh, the Gadadhar, the, 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 um, who he doesn't say too much about, but who represents this all important Srup Shakti that Bhakti is constituted of. So these, obviously, then the, the, he goes on to explain. One, two, three, four verses about the Godhead himself, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Obviously, in the context of explaining Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he has to explain Radha and Krishna. Through hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Radha and Krishna are, are, are one, appearing as two, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is two, appearing as one. Hmm? In explaining this, of course, he he he, he has to explain the chintu beda beda. Hmm? So I says, I said, it's filled with, with much philosophy. Hmm? He has to explain the gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, blessing that he's come to give. Hmm? He has to explain the external and internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. And the one that that is partially objective, uh, partially external, and partially internal. Hmm? This is a very comprehensive explanation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Hmm. How he is Swami Bhagwan. 
And then, of course, he has to explain about Nityananda Prabhu. So, five verses about Nityananda Prabhu, Nityananda Tattva, the expansion. He has two verses then about Advaita, the principle of the Avatara. Hmm? Avatara from coming from crossing Tara from up to down. Hmm? Again, the subjective world entering the objective world in a prominent way. Hmm? And and then um, something, as I say, about Srivast Thakur and Gadadhar, about the Tatasta and the and the um, Surup Shaktis. But along with those, I should say, his first verse includes these five, offers pranam, namaskar to them. The last verse of his Mangalacharana also glorifies them. Tanchatatvatmakam krishnam bhaktarupa surupakam bhaktabhataram bhaktakyam namami bhaktashaktikam. So it begins and ends with these, this glorification of the panchatatva. But the difference, in one sense, between the first verse and the last verse is that another principle is included in the first verse, Bande Gurun, the principle of the Guru. And it's certainly most appropriate to begin um, a book about the subjective world and the depths of the subjective world, if you will, the, 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 the likes of which we don't find elsewhere. What's being described in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what the possibilities in the subjective world, the nature of Krishna Leela and so forth. It, it's you don't find this anywhere else, really. Hmm? Um, kind of revolutionary insights in the in the in the in the, in the, in the religious history of the world, as much as the religious history of the world involves speaking about that that world hmm? and the possibilities therein. Objectively speaking. What Krishna has spoken about, what our Goswamis have spoken about, and so forth. It's this very revolutionary, very extraordinary ideas. I mean, the very idea that the Godhead Himself has a worshipable object. This is very, turns everything upside down. This probably just to say all the religions believe that, that God is the most worshipable object, and we are engaged in, in worshiping the worshipable object of God. Hmm. Of course, here God is Krishna and Radha is his worshipable object. Hmm. So this is very uh, different, hmm. very interesting theological uh, ideas hmm. in the context of explaining that idea Krishna poses questions through the pen of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, theological questions that are arguably the, the most extraordinary theological questions ever asked. And God's asking them. Generally in Western theology, the theological questions involve whether or not God exists. That's mostly what the discussion is about, whether or not God exists, hmm? how he might exist, how he's good, even though there's bad in the world and these kind of things. I mean, Chaitanya Charitamrita is not dealing with that level of discussion. Hmm? God is asking questions. Why am I? 
Hmm? The way I am. And what is it that I'm like, actually, that she alone can see in me? How can I taste that? These are very extraordinary theological questions. And again, coming from the mouth of God. Hmm? So it's, um, whether it's the highest thing in the world idea or not, that for you to decide, but it's very extraordinary. It's very different. Hmm? And really it's very inclusive because many other ideas that are discussed in other traditions, we find they're, dis- they're also answered in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? They're not the preoccupation, but they're not neglected either. So very extraordinary. And so to go f- to, the, to this plane, to this, to the, to this height hmm, of this, this depth of the subje- ocean of subjectivity hmm, and the possibilities that lie there, from our position, hmm, identified as we are with the objective world, hmm, some guidance it makes sense would be useful. And I mentioned the idea of a map, the scriptural map. Hmm? And so the map and the guide, hmm? the map and the guide, both these things. Therefore, he begins, and appropriately so, one day guru, and appropriately so, not only because the guru is the guide hmm, to help us read and understand the map hmm, and uh, tread the path successfully from the objective world to the subjective world, hmm, which is the real world. Hmm. Um, The guru is not only the guide to take us on the path and then he disappears, but he also represented in that world hmm, This is the this is in the Adidaivic perspective on the guru. The Adi perspective is you ought to pay attention to the guru. It's as if God Himself has come before you. And you got to pay close attention there. Krishna seems content with making this argument. That the guru, who appears in different forms as the initiator and as the instructor, is directly a manifestation of the Godhead hmm, who lies within everyone, so to speak. He wants to try to tell us that the Guru is not an artificial foreign imposition, hmm, but but a manifestation of of of, the, of our super conscience, so to speak. Hmm. God within the heart coming before us in a tangible form. Hmm? The subjective reality coming objectively appearing before us that we can look at and hold on to and speak to and observe and so forth. Hmm? A real tangible, if you will. <laughs> uh, he wants to make this point and um, he cites several verses from the sacred text to support the position that the Siksha Guru, the Diksha Guru, are directly manifestations of the Chaitya Guru. Hmm? Chaitya means what? Consciousness. Here it means the inner Guru. It kind of means also like our super 
conscience. Hmm? We have some capacity, if we're very introspective, to know that we should do the right thing, something like that, Hmm? and what it might be hmm? in a general way. Hmm? So to to come before us in such a way that that plots it out very carefully and guides us very... In a, in a more detailed fashion. This is the idea. So the guru is not some external, foreign um, oppression, but our own prospect coming before us to, to exemplify all that we could be, to articulate. And this is what our experience is. The guru tends to articulate what we feel in our heart that we couldn't quite say ourselves the same way. But when we hear it, we go, I agree with that. It's like, that's what I feel. I feel like that. Hmm. This is <laughs> so it's your own self, hmm. Hmm. in a sense. Hmm. Just uh, uh, articulating, explaining it. Hmm. And so it becomes very, very compelling, very natural to follow. I've said sometimes, it is said in the scriptures that one must have a guru. And there's a couple of ways of looking at that. You may be familiar with my interpretation, but one must have a guru is kind of like a law that you must have a guru. But I look at it like, I must have a guru. And she must be my guru. He must be my guru. Because I feel a connection when he, he or she speaks. It, it, I agree with that. Hmm? That... I naturally go with that. Hmm? I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I feel that way. Hmm? So I must is out of a, out of a necessity hmm? to identify with that which hmm, is so much uh, resonates with how I feel, what I'm like. Hmm? It's not like a law, and you have to get it like this, and get an approval over here, and approval over there, and make sure there's enough votes and everybody says it's okay and other people are doing it and it's nothing like that. Hmm? This is the free world here. Hmm? We're going to the subjective world. Hmm? We may try to harness it and objectify it in an institution, for example, in literature, in a softer way, but still to objectify it and institutionalize it, to take advantage of it. And that may help to a point, but it can see there are ways it can get in the way also. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had several gurus, right? He had Ishvarapuri was his Diksha guru. Hmm? Keshava Bharati was his sannyas guru. Hmm? Ramananda Roy his Ragmarg guru. Hmm? When he took sannyas from Keshava Bharati, he didn't need to get permission from Ishwar Puri. When he took guidance from Ramananda Roy, he didn't have to ask Ishwar Puri, is it okay? What do I have here? It's not that the disciple become the property of the guru. The guru wants to free the disciple, liberate them. Invest in them in such that they know how to think spiritually and feel spiritually, hmm? and such that they may be able to find the representation of the guru in different forms, even at different times, that may happen. Hmm? 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu shows this kind of example. So, so the principle of guru, very important. He begins his text with this, Krishna Kaviraj, and he wants to make this point first, that the guru is an external manifestation of the God within, like the mirror of our future prospect coming before us. It's a happy thing. Hmm? Um, I had a disciple when she joined I've told this story before but some of you may be familiar so forgive me for repeating myself but um, she was asked by a friend that are you when you look in the mirror are you, do, you, do you smile now that you're in that group hmm. hope you're happy there he was kind of like putting some doubt you know are you just doing, you know, are you brainwashed or something like that? <laughs> when you look in the mirror, you're really happy with yourself. So she wrote back and said, actually, when I look in the mirror, since I've heard from my guru, I don't see that much to be that happy about. I, I find a, a, I see a lot of, you know, things in myself that aren't that good. But when I look at my guru, then I smile. Then I see something. I see my prospect coming before me. Hmm? I thought it was a very nice answer. Because the guru does help us to see ourself for what we are, which is not so becoming. Hmm? As much as we have identified with the objective world, then we're a little mean-spirited, we're a little competitive. Hmm? This is the material world. The path of karma, for example, hmm? one of the religious paths, this is universal, it's not just Hindu, but the path of acquisition. Pray to God to get things. God give me my daily bread, and a few other things. Hmm? Fill my stocking at Christmas. Send St. Nicholas from Finland down there and tell him to bring something other than those, those, those yellow berries from that. You know, which are good, but... <laughs> so <laughs> we want uh, things. Hmm? One of the problems with this path... Hmm? path of acquisition is that not only there are no friends on the path but but uh, I'm surrounded by by others who are envious and competitive hmm? it's all a competition that's so very kind of before you have to look out all the time hmm? of course you're creating the competition by the way you act you're hunting and so you're being hunted this is the problem if you move from a having perspective, I have another book in mind, more of an introductory book, to have, to be, or to love. Eric Fromm wrote a book many years ago, To Have or to Be. So I wanted to take it a step further. He doesn't look at it from a spiritual, metaphysical perspective, but from a psychological perspective. But to look at it from a metaphysical perspective, to have, to be, or to love. This is karma, gyan, bhakti. The problem, one of the problems, as I'm explaining just briefly, of having is that you have no friends. Not only do, it's worse than having no friends, you have competitors, and 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 uh, 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 others that are envious of you. Mm-hmm. So it's a very treacherous path. If you have the, if you instead decide to be, 
rather than have. Because the more you try to be by having, the less you be. The more diminished your sense of being becomes. Because if, you, if your sense of being is identified with what you have, well, you don't have anything. <laughs> That's a fact. Not for very long. And neither will you be that which is identified with having for very long. Right? That will be here today, but it will be gone tonight. Hmm. Not even tomorrow. Hmm. Tonight. So there's a sense of being that is much more profound and meaningful and enduring than the one derived from having. Hmm. But in the path of being, and on the path of being, there are no enemies, but there are no friends, and there's nobody else. Hmm. So that's. Uh, If you want to be alone, you can be, but you have to be alone. Hmm? If you study the path of Gyan, then you understand the point I'm making here. I think some of you are mostly familiar with with and can understand my point. But on the path of Bhakti, of course, hmm, there are no enemies. Hmm? Hmm? And never alone. Hmm? Always with friends. Hmm? Love has the power to turn faults into ornaments turn enemies into friends. Hmm? That is bhakti. Hmm? Very friendly path. Hmm? There's two ways to deal with a storm. When the storm comes, you can run inside and hold up and wait for it to end. Hmm? Right? So material existence is like a storm. A storm in the mind. Hmm? Taking its, it's 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 disconcerting, hmm? huge, huge storm. What to do? Try to wait it out. Hope it will end. Do nothing. Wait for it to end. The Gyan path is something like this. Hmm? And the other choice is in the storm. To, to not try to avoid the storm, but learn how to dance in the rain. Hmm? That is a bhakti idea. How to dance in the rain. Hmm? So how to turn even enemies into friends. Hmm? How to turn uh, problems, our problems, properly understood, are, this, are our solutions. Hmm? So this is, we can go into that as we, as we go forward, but this is the idea of, uh, of, of the bhakti mark. Hmm? And a big friend in the form of the Guru come to help us. God coming in the form of the Guru to help us, to guide us. Hmm? And Krishna Das wants to make the point that, as I say, hmm, this is the external manifestation of God in the heart. You can look, talk, see, example, and learn and proceed and and so forth. Hmm? I think his thinking is that if you understand this point well enough and pay close enough attention... Hmm, the other side of, the, of Sri Guru that applies more readily to the Adidaivic perspective, hmm, the function of the Guru in Leela, hmm, that will come hmm, naturally. Hmm, as much as you pay attention and consider, the Guru has come, it's like God has come before me to talk to me hmm, and show me by example, to, pay, to have such regard. 
Now, when we speak about this side, the side that Krishnadas has emphasized, all the Pramana verses, all the verses of evidence from the sacred texts that he cited to establish that the Guru, the Siksha Guru or the Diksha Guru is directly a manifestation of, of God. Hmm. It's like very powerful. Prabhupada made this point, you know, when he first came to New York and he said, so tomorrow we will have initiations. He said, what's that all about? Or somebody questioned and he said, that involves, what did he say? He said, that involves accepting the guru as good as God. Then he walked out. And some people said, I don't know if I go for that. <laughs> Swamiji is pretty nice, but but that's uh, that's a lot to digest. And some people said, we're going. Mm. And they became his first disciples. And some people didn't, and so forth. So that's... Uh, that's a lot to uh, to digest, hmm? and in the modern world, it's almost giving people indigestion. Hmm? This idea, hmm? <laughs> it's uh, so. <laughs> uh, the Western world uh, has some acquaintance now, for the last uh, about fifty years, with the. Um, Hindu idea of the guru. Hmm? The Eastern idea of the of the guru. And it has a fair amount of experience. Some of it's bad and some of it's good. And the bad part gets more probably um, uh, circulation. Hmm? But of course, uh, the, 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 the bad, if you will, it, I think it, it comes from a couple of things. It comes from misrepresentation and misunderstanding. Hmm? Misrepresentation means that from the guru's side, lack of qualification. And misunderstanding means from the disciple's side, misunderstanding of what the principle of guru is and therefore what's to be expected of the guru and then what the disciple is and what's to be expected of the disciple. So misrepresentation and misidentification. Misrepresentation on the part of the guru, misunderstanding in two forms on the part of the disciple. What is the guru? What is the disciple? We may have our own ideas about that. Hmm? And as much as we carry our own ideas and our own worldly faith hmm? um, into the, the, the circle of spiritual learning as much as we set ourselves up for a problem, that's why hmm? faith is the ingredient here. And faith, I spoke about earlier, as the vehicle for going, is Shastriya Shraddha. It means there's different kinds of faith. So as we said earlier, there's, you know, there's, there's different kinds of loving, loving devotion based on your designation. Hmm? Here we're talking about worldly faith and divine faith. Faith in the idea, divine faith being faith in the idea that there are things that cannot be known with my intellect. Hmm? They can only be known through revelation. Letting go if you will, of your intellect at a certain point in terms of its being the ultimate guide. 
Accepting the guidance of revelation, which the guru is a representative of, as, as the revelation is the map and the guru is the guide, explaining it and so forth. So we kind of put ourselves intelligently, reasonably, in hands that are theoretically uh, coming from beyond our the jurisdiction of our intellect. Hmm? Sounds a little frightening at first, perhaps, because we are used to being guided by our intellect and and so forth. But really, it's not that type of life. An intellect-guided life is not a very cheerful one. It's not a carefree one. It's not the life we seek. Hmm? When we have to examine everything very carefully. I've given an example before that if you go to um, a foreign country or you go out of your home and you want to buy something, you want to look on the label, what's in it these days? What, what, what do they put in it? Hmm? So before you want to digest it, give it to your stomach by which it will be distributed to every part of your body. You filter it through your intellect and see if it's, if, if, if it's something you want to take. Hmm? Uh, but, it, but in your own home, in your own surrounding, then those who you live with and love and so forth... You cook for them, they cook for you, then you don't ask what's in it, and you're eating happily, you're taking it into your stomach, giving it to your whole body without any question, in a carefree way. Hmm? It's You're moving there according to the heart, freely. The intellect is there, but it's subordinate to the heart. This is this is the idea of Vrindavan, everyone moving according to the heart. Gyamshunya Bhakti. Hmm? They don't think, hmm, is that God? Should I serve him? There's no calculation like that. Hmm? Some calculation there in Vaikuntha. He's God, he should be served. But in Vrindavan, hmm, it's quite, uh, quite, quite different. All fully moving according to the heart. It's the homeland of the heart. Free movement, not encumbered by having to think it out and make sure it's correct. So... You can understand that this way, this intellect-guided life of the Western world is very much, we have a sanskar, genes for reasoning and things having to make sense and so forth. It's quite a problem when it comes to, to the idea that there's something that transcends reason. But if we look at it, we see that a reason rule of life is, is, is it, 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 it may be a civilized life, hmm? But it's not a happy life. Hmm? It's not a festive life. Hmm? It's a dry life. Hmm? And so it's problematic in that way. It's not fulfilling. It may help to take us from animality hmm? in jungle living. Hmm? And this very crude type of struggle for existence. It doesn't do away with the struggle for existence. Hmm? You may make the struggle less or easier. If you have an education, well, you can make more money and 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 sweat less. Hmm? But still, you have to sweat. <laughs> hmm? So we want no sweat, something like that. <laughs> it's no sweat. Hmm? Only well, there is sweat, but it comes from playing. Only from playing. Hmm? So, so 
Faith, Shastriya Shraddha, divine faith, faith in revelation, faith that intellect alone cannot uh, uh, satisfy me, an intellect-ruled life. So we we come into bhakti with this uh, this this in mind, and Guru then of course explains the map. Hmm? So he or she gives answers according to the, to the scripture, and because we have faith in revelation, then the answers, when properly presented with with scripture, scriptural reference and, and reasoning, spiritual reasoning, then we accept that. But if we have other things in mind, lokic faith, worldly faith, then the answers won't be as satisfying, won't work for us. So I want to cite a verse that I've cited in my commentary. It's not a verse cited by Krishna Skabiras Goswami, but it's a, it, in his explanation of Guru. He basically, again, wants to explain this one point, that the Guru is the manifestation of Krishna within the heart, both the Siksha Guru and the Diksha Guru. Therefore, he should be paid attention to hmm, fully. He doesn't go into other aspects of, of Guru Tattva. Hmm. He seems to think they'll come naturally with this in mind. Hmm. But other explanations are there, of course. Hmm. And there's one verse that the Goswamis cite most readily. I've given a couple lectures on this in recent times. You may have heard them, but uh, it's an important verse, and I want to speak on it again. And I'll bring this morning's discussion to a, to a close with this explanation. Verse comes from Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? I say the Goswamis quoted more than any other verse in explaining the Guru. It's a very practical explanation that hmm? can help us in both ways. Help us in terms of understanding misrepresentation on the part of the Guru, and can help us in terms of misunderstanding. Hmm? of what to expect from the guru and what to expect from the disciple. Hmm? It goes like this. Tasmat guru prapadjeta jignasu shaya uttamam shabde parej nishnatam brahmani upashamashraya. So he says, tasmat guru prapadjeta. One should, therefore, one should submit to the guru. Hmm? Jignasu Shaya Uttamam. What kind of person should submit to the Guru? Hmm? Prabhupada used to say that not everybody needs a Guru. You think that's good. Okay. He he said, because why? Because not everybody wants a comprehensive solution to the problems. Hmm? They want what we say in English is a band aid solution. If you have cancer and the doctor gives you a bandage, that's not much of a solution to the to the problem, right? Hmm? To cure the symptoms, hmm? uh, to alleviate the symptoms to some extent is not to cure the disease. So, the first words here: Jignasu shrey uttamam. One who needs a guru should in, who, who should come and surrender the guru is one who is inquiring in a particular way. Jignasu means inquiry. Who's inquiring? Who is who, who is who is searching? Shreya hmm? uttama for the ultimate good. Uttama shreya, the ultimate good, the ultimate right thing to do. The, 
In other words, who wants a comprehensive solution to the problem? Shabde parechanishnatam brahmane upashamashraya. And the guru is that person, Shabde pare, who can explain the Shabde, the map, in such a way that pare, that the Godhead comes into full focus as the solution. That love for him, in other words, it, it, it appears as the ultimate good. Sheutam. Hmm? Pare indicates the Godhead. Hmm? And Shabde um, Pare, Nishnatam. Nishnatam, very expertly explain the scripture such that it sheds light on, on, on Pare, on the Godhead, and the possibility, implication is, of a relationship with him, which we call Prem. Shabde Pare Nishnatam. Brahmani Upashamashrayam. Hmm? That uh, guru is that person who, standing on on the ground of consciousness of the subjective world, Brahmani Upashamashrayam, hmm? and is, is therefore Upashama, hmm? Upa, Upama, who, ashray, who, who is sheltered in equanimity. Hmm? I'll explain this in, in greater detail. Hmm? To go back to the beginning, the disciple is described, hmm? the student, Jignasu Shrey Uttamam, has to have a burning interest in making a comprehensive solution to the problem of life. Hmm? This kind of thinking. I've told the story before, some of you may have heard that some time ago, I came into my bathroom at Audarya, and on the window there was a spider web. Hmm? And there I saw a fly caught in the web. Like this, trying to get out. So I reached compassionately to take the fly and free him from the web. And just as I was about to do that, I saw the spider coming. What to do? One person's festival is another person's funeral. That is material existence. Hmm? Hmm? If I free the fly, the spider will go hungry. What to do? (laughs) If I let the spider eat, the fly will die. Hmm? This is material life, you see. There is no solution. Hmm? You press down here, it comes up over here. You press down here, it comes up over there. Hmm? One has to be see something like this. There's no solution. Hmm? If we have no... We, 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 if you have jignasu shayutamam, hmm? politics is entertainment only. The news is only some form of... It's a cartoon, but not very funny. Hmm? That's all. Hmm? Cartoon characters, they say, talking heads. Hmm? They have no solution. Hmm? Republican, Democrat, uh, socialist, socialist democracy, <laughs> all these things, no solution. No solution. Don't spend time with this. I have no time for politics. Hmm? I understand the relative value of it to some extent. Hmm? Mm. but 
I'm interested in a comprehensive solution. It's not going to come from taking the burden of material life that shows up in one form and putting it on this shoulder and then moving it to the other shoulder and then putting it on my head for a while, then back to the other shoulder. Prabhupada would give this example. Not interested in that. But a comprehensive solution. This kind of burning interest, this fuels our um, life as a student and keeps within us, keeps us in a kind of what I would call a teachable moment. Hmm? As much as we drift from that, which is a product really of good association, hmm? then we get carried by the currents of the world. Think there are things more important than ourselves. That unit of subjectivity that we are hmm, in a notion of the of, of the objective world, making it all have meaning, giving it shape, form, and so forth, and identifying with it and losing sight of ourselves, and thinking that having is being, hmm, and having nothing but enemies and competing with us, as I said earlier. So Jignasu Shayutam has a really this is means um, an orientation towards experiential spiritual life. You have to understand hmm, as much as that you have your you you're in this type of disposition as much as you're going to grow from bhakti. Hmm? Otherwise you can get information, you can go inside your head, it can be interesting. It, Digest it to some extent and so forth, but the, to, to, the necessity to put it into practice and 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 um, in a, in a, in a, without interruption, without interruption. Yes, we know there is a learning curve. We call it anishta bhajana kriya, anishta. It's a long curve like this, but the road has to straighten out if you want to get the prema bhakti. Hmm? Then it will again go like that. <laughs> Once you enter there, that's another thing. Hmm? But now we 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 have to we are on a we're going on a curve, long curve. So this, so the interruptions in our bhakti, they're just detours hmm? here and there from the currents of the world taking us in our minds. Hmm? Guru means literally another translation is heavy. It means that person who's not swayed by the currents of the world. Hmm? We can look at it and it's always in the same place, always doing the same thing, setting the example and so forth. Meanwhile, we find ourselves taken by this detour or that detour of thought. That might be interesting. That could be interesting. Hmm? This way of being tossed and turned in bhakti becomes, while it was important to us and burning to bring us to this beginning, it has suddenly somehow drifted to the background and it's just music. Hmm? Hmm? This is in the background. This has to be converted. Hmm? You have to come to the point where the path is straight. Now I just, I'm going straight there. Then when you enter there, then it, Leela moves in so many curved ways, so many unpredictable turns. Hmm? Such is the nature of, of love. That's beautiful. But again, wise love. Hmm? So, love that's not detoured, 
focused. This is nishta. So, Guru sets an example like this. As much as we then can stay in good company somehow or other and keep ourselves in this kind of uh, teachable uh, space with a sense of urgency, this is what is compelled, complied, uh, uh, applied in this verse. The disciple has a sense of urgency, a, a, a burning need. Answer will come. Hmm? There's no lack in the world for God to give answers. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said there's only a lack of interest in the subject. You know, he was printing a magazine, Nadia Prakash, a daily magazine, and somebody in, in business said, how can you present it? make a magazine about God every day. He said, we could do one every minute. Hmm? But there's just no customers, not enough customers. There's no lack of information from that side. You have two, three newspapers in every major city of the world about the objective world. And it's just the same thing over and over again. The same thing over and over again. Hmm? Perlot called it chewing the chewed. Hmm? You just bought a new house. But somebody just sold it as an old thing that they couldn't wait to get it. You're just buying somebody else's remnants. Hmm. That's all. Hmm. Just, the, just rehashing the same thing in a little slightly different ways. Hmm. That's the idea. Hmm. Therefore, Bhakti Jiva Goswami said, there's no rasa in the material world. If there's any rasa, he said, it's just that disgust. Hmm that you get from material interaction. Play your favorite song. Play it. How many times will you play it? Play it 108 times without stopping. (laughs) You'll want to break the record. That's what you want. You'll want to break the record long before you get to 108. So that however we're exposed to sense objects, we're enjoying them in terms of our mental sense of self and so forth. As much as we'll have it, the only taste we'll get from that ultimately is only enduring taste, and rasa must be enduring, is disgust. Sounds harsh, but it's true, actually. And meanwhile, we're offering another alternative. One one understands this, wants a comprehensive solution, inquires ardently. We want to know the truth. We want to know the meaning of life. We come in touch with the Godi of Aishas and we think, now I know the meaning of life. So now I'll just get on with my life. No, you have to get on with the meaning of life and apply it and so forth. You know, it takes some time. Okay. So there's a learning curve. Hmm? There is a stage of Anishta Bhajana Kriya. We know that, but we have to talk about the straight road that's ahead. Encourage people to make your way there. It does it, it exists? Hmm? You become distracted. Hmm? We have festivals like this to help us, hmm? right? Hmm? So jignasu Uttam, What what is required on the part of the disciple? I want to say, in a simple way, in a couple of words, they have given us the proper understanding. As much as we don't have this in place. As much as we set ourselves up for some problem, potentially, on the part of the student, 
in relation to the principle of the guru. So as I said, there are problems that come up. The Western world has come in touch with the guru principle and uh, there's some good things have come and there's some bad things. And the bad things and can tend to get more publicity, but there's reasons for them. This is one of the reasons. Hmm? The disciple doesn't understand what it, what it means to be the disciple. You don't have to be a disciple. So you can stop there. You don't have to be a disciple of somebody. You don't have to be a student of this. Hmm? But if you are to become a student of this, then there's a certain something that constitutes the whole, a whole student. As much as you're a whole student, then you've got that in place. There's not going to be a problem coming from that side. Now you may say, I was fully in place. I gave myself fully. Hmm? I was fully sincere. I applied myself. And still there was a problem. That's because, well, there's misrepresentation. Hmm? And despite how good of a disciple we may be, how earnest we may be, hmm? and sincere, and having that kind of necessity I'm speaking about to find the guru, let's say, in the first place, still there may be problems because there's misrepresentation and because despite our sincerity, we also have a corresponding lack or amount of what we call sukriti. Hmm? So by association with bhakti over lifetimes, we get some capacity to understand bhakti. That's a fact. It's not an intellectual affair. Hmm? We are psychologically predisposed towards the reasoning of bhakti because of having associated with bhakti hmm, in some form in previous lives. We have some sakriti, some sangskar for bhakti. According to the measure of that sangskar, that sakriti, we have a better capacity to understand, to think theologically from a Gaudiya perspective and so forth. Hmm? So that may be lacking in us. There may be, let's say somebody has a Mercedes and somebody has a Volkswagen. Hmm? So there are two different vehicles. We compare that to the Sukriti. Hmm? Each car has a gas pedal. That's the sincerity. So person in the Volkswagen may be stepping all the way to the floor. Hmm? The person in the, in, the, in the Mercedes may be stepping on the brake. Hmm? He has more Sukriti but he's not stepping on the gas, not applying himself sincerely. Hmm? Someone in the Volkswagen, less secreted, but applying themselves sincerely. So, sincerity will, will should foster hmm, secreti in due course. But this is why sometimes we find people are very sincere and still they make uh, wrong choices or they come in touch with misrepresentations. Not because they're insincere. Hmm? because of their security. But mistakes are not problems. Mistakes are not problems. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. So, we learn from them. Properly understood, then it's a given that there will be misrepresentation. There's a thinking among some people that if you want a real guru, you better go to India. Because these Western guys, you know, you don't know what's with them. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's more bogus gurus per capita in India than there is anywhere in the whole world. So, wherever there's real guru, there is going to be misrepresentation. Whatever, whatever, wherever, where there, there can only mis- be, re- be misrepresentation mm-hmm. of the principle if the principle actually exists in the first place, right? So, it's a given that there will be misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. 
Now, we want to find some way to avoid this, right? We want to find some way to avoid choosing a guru who is not fully representative of the teaching and qualified. We want to avoid that. But I want to tell you, I'm here to tell you, there's no way to avoid that possibility. That possibility exists, and it may happen to you. And don't try to, by some management principle or changing the whole philosophy of Guru Tattva, hmm, that you're going to get around (laughs) this or... We hear about it, we, 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 we want to make the right choice, and we're limited. Hmm? There's misrepresentation, and there's the capacity within us to make the wrong choice. That's just a fact. Hmm? That doesn't mean you shouldn't make a choice, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue that. Hmm? That just You should know from the beginning, that's just part of the territory hmm? that exists. Hmm? Better people than ourselves, than myself, have encountered this this problem. So better to know in advance, and 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 and, and don't try to change the teaching and philosophize uh, in, in, uh, the whole principle of guru away, so that the, well, there's really, you know, the diksha doesn't really make much difference. It's just a formality anyway. Siksha is the real thing, and maybe Prabhupada's the Siksha, so he's always there, even though he's not here. He's there, and and and, and so it's not a problem. And and uh, this is this is kind of a management thing that does away with really the principle of the guru in the name of protecting you from um, uh, misrepresentation. So it's not possible, hmm? but it doesn't have to be. You know, an everyday occurrence, or the or the norm by any means, should be an exception, and by education, that should come to be the uh, the, the reality. So it's important to educate on the principle. And although the Western world has been familiar with this to some extent, it's been something that's 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 not well under, understood, and uh, and so much more education is required. And much more education is required than about the principle than just what Krishna's Kaviraj has given in his uh, opening words, Vande Gurun, and the, and the brief commentary that he gives there. Hmm? What about the guru then? We said the disciples should be in this position that I'm saying. Hmm? Hmm? Then even if you make a mistake, then you understand it properly and you go forward and learn from it. Hmm? So that's the safest. Hmm. Then, in that sense, you, 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 you really can't be deceived well, for temporarily or something. Then, on the other side, the guru. Shabde hmm? brahmani These, what the Goswamis have done by citing this verse as much as they have, as I say, is they've they've cited a verse that describes the disciple and the guru in very practical ways that we can observe. There are many things that we could say about the guru should be this, that, and the other thing. That we have no capacity to observe. We should say, the guru should be rasika in in, in rasa with Krishna. Well, well, that's good. But you can't observe that. How are you know that? Hmm? 
So I think this is one of the reasons that they've cited this verse so so readily because it speaks about, to a large extent, observable uh, qualities and characteristics. It says what that the guru shabde pare chanishnatam, as I mentioned earlier, the guru is nishnatam. Nishnatam means very, very well learned and thereby able to explain as the guide the scriptural map shabde in such a way. Hmm, that the that it 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 it, sh- it um, sheds light on a theistic understanding of revelation that in the full sense of the term is what we call prem bhakti. Hmm? To be able to do this from 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 all sides, to have a comprehensive understanding of the sacred text, to be able to reason about their them and their implications, apply them in time, place, and circumstance, in a dynamic way, and so on and so forth. Hmm? This is very observable. Hmm? This is something that can be observed. People say, well, he has a lot of, you know, scriptural knowledge may be one thing, but realization, that's another. Hmm? If a qualified guru speaks enough about the theory as he or she should to teach the theory hmm? and someone says well theory may be one thing but realization is another that's like the guy I used to meet when I used to sell Prabhupada's books who would say if Krishna wants me to take the book I'll take the book or he would say the truth is not in the book truth is not in the book I would say that's true, but some of it is, and you need that part. <laughs> you need that. First, you, truth is beyond the book. That's true, but you have to first get beyond the book. Hmm? By reading the book. You can't get beyond the book without reading the book. So, Truth may be more than just a book. That's true. Hmm? But you've got to start somewhere. And so, you start with the book. <laughs> not that you jump to the other side. And this is not a, not, a, not a reason. That's true. Truth is beyond the book. Nir granta apirukramhe. Bhagavatam is that book that's beyond books, according to the Bhagavad itself. Sukadeva Goswami was beyond books, but still he studied the Bhagavad. Hmm? It's a proper understanding of the Bhagavad. It is a book beyond books. But anyway, yes, truth is not contained only in a book, but a lot of it is in a book. And first we take that, then we can go beyond the book. Then we can write a book, okay? <laughs> so when you say you don't need a book, then you should be writing books. Hmm? Because other people need them hmm? to go beyond. Hmm? So, people sometimes make this argument because they have lokic faith, not Shastriya Shraddha, not faith in, the, in revelation. And they have some idea about what bhakti is hmm? or what it, they think it should be, or they feel, or they wish, or they, they, they want it to be. Hmm? Based on their material conditioning, their limited understanding of scripture, hmm? what they thought they understood to be right, which has now become part of their ego, hmm? that they'll defend with tooth and nail, as they say. Hmm? Hmm? And then the guru quotes the scripture dispassionately, showing but it contradicts what they think they heard, what they think their guru said or what their guru did say, but they didn't understand why he said it, according to time, circumstance, hmm? 
what was said before him in, this, in, the, in the core text, and how to understand what he said in relation to that, and so on and so forth, all these things. And then they say, well, my guru said this, he was a great realized soul. You may have scriptural knowledge, but that is nothing. Hmm? The realization should conform with the scriptural knowledge. That's what we're taught. It shouldn't be different from that. Hmm? Understand? It should conform with it. The guru's business is shabde paretanishtatanatam. This is a this is a very tangible, practical quality characteristic that we can observe. Does he or she have a comprehensive understanding of the scripture, able to explain it, cite it, answer our questions based on the scripture, hmm? Hmm. rather than say, you know, don't ask that question. It's mental spe- you speculate, you think too much. Hmm. But they actually be able to explain. Hmm. This is important. This is the qualification of what, observable qualification. Shabde paraitanishnatam. And it means in a creative way. It means with Shastra Yukti, Shastra Nipun, hmm? who feels the text, has enough ruchi, Rupa Goswami explains, in his last verse of the first chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, who has enough ruchi, they can do Shastra Yukti. Hmm? They are most qualified to tread the path, and therefore the best example hmm, to follow if we were to tread the path. This is the meaning of Uttam Adhikar, who is the most eligible to tread the path. And the path has no end. Hmm? So we're going to follow someone who's treading the path. Hmm? The path is the goal, as they say. So, But who's in, a, in an informed way, hmm? informed from the scriptural argument, informed from the theological, theoretical argument, and it's been integrated into their being in such a way that the practice and insight conforms with the text, but in a dynamic sense that it can be explained in different times, in different circumstances, and draw out meanings and implications that we could not otherwise on our own. This is, the, this is something to look for in a guru, that it's very, it's very pragmatic explanation, very observable. Shabde parejanishnatam. And brahmani upashamashraya. That's the second thing I said. Has theoretical knowledge and has realization. And realization is defined here as what? Who, who has equibalance, which the, the Goswamis consistently have translated. Who doesn't have lust, greed, hmm? who's not overtaken by anger, who may use anger, but not may, who may use a temper, but not lose a temper. Hmm? So this is fairly observable, hmm? whose character is not human, is what it means. Not human. Hmm? It doesn't say, who is, find a guru who is dancing with Krishna. Hmm? Make sure he's dancing with Krishna. How are you going to know that? <laughs> he's dancing with Krishna. Maybe he's wrestling with Krishna. What then? Hmm? How do you know these things? Hmm? No, very. This is a very down-to-earth type of explanation. Hmm? I like this verse from this poem of Kipling. You know, the it's very. I think he was a student of Bhagavad Gita to some extent, also. Hmm? English poet. If is the name of the poet. If 
If you could be like this, if you could be like this, if you could be like this, if you could be like this. And all the ifs are this, constitute this superhuman kind of person who's, who, who can walk, who can walk amongst the, 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 the wealthy and never lose touch with the, with the common folk. Something, this kind of balanced person. Hmm? Just the, that's the one of the verses. I can't remember the other ones, but so many of them. Hmm? This this kind of impossible person, so to speak, that human frailties they don't allow, we, that, that we all feel and we are all taught by every institution of learning that we should be. Hmm? You see, what we what the Gita is speaking about is the perfect person. Is what everybody teaches you should be, but everybody thinks, well, you can't quite be, but as close as you can be, then you be, you're celebrated in the world. Then you're remembered. Then you have a day named after you. It's Swami's day. It's this devotee's day. It's his day. It's, it's Martin Luther King day. It's Stalin's day. I don't know what day that is. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, you know, well, he's on the other side, the end of the spectrum, but, you know, it's... Uh, Forgive me, I don't know all the European heroes, but uh, you know, in America we have some. So, and what are they? What are these heroes? Why are their days being named after them? Because they did something that's non-human. That's hmm? humanly like stretches the limits of humanity. They were so good, so right, hmm, that despite odds against them, they did the right thing. Hmm? And, they, and they, they didn't wait for anybody else. They stood up for what was right and were ready to be killed for that or whatever. This, this, like, this is what the Gita is talking about. This kind of person. Hmm? This is what it means by Upashamashraya. They're sheltered in this kind of balanced position. This, this kind of... They're not purchased by anybody. The Guru is not purchased by anybody. Not by any institution. Hmm? Um, can't be bought. Hmm? Um, speaking only for Krishna, only what the scripture says, representing that, living according to that, that kind of, these are observable things. This kind of person hmm, is really what every human being is taught and thinks we really should be. That we succumb to our humanness, if you will, think, well, it's not really possible. In Christianity, they say it like that. I once went, was at a at a at a market, and there were some Christians had a table, and they they said, "Would you like to take a quiz? Would you like to take a quiz?" So I said, "Okay. Well, what's the quiz?" And they said, "Okay, we have a question to ask you. Only one question. Hmm? And let's see what how you can answer." I said, I said "What's the question?" I said, "Have you ever sinned?" So they expect everybody's going to say yes. Okay, thank you. Now step two: here's someone who has never sinned. Hmm? This is the Jesus. Hmm? So, therefore, you should follow him. Something like that was 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 the reasoning. Hmm? Of course, they teach, and nobody can ever be like that either. Hmm? That's where it falls short. Yes, you should follow someone like that, but that no one can be like that. 
that we don't agree. Hmm? That everyone should be like that. That is the teaching of the Jesus. That everyone should be like that. But that's not humanly possible. Yes, that's true. There's something more than humanness. Hmm? Humanness gives us the opportunity to be, to be more than human. Hmm? Not to have a religious orientation only to life, to, to, but a spiritual orientation. Hmm? The religious orientation allows us to still be human. Hmm? But the spiritual orientation asks more of us and gives more to us, so much more. And the Guru embodies this hmm, and says, you can be like this. Hmm? What is enlightenment? Big, big topic. What is enlightenment? And I told that other guy, you saw, I quoted earlier, samsara is nirvana, nirvana is samsara. You can make up so many things. What is enlightenment? Hmm? It is no greed, no lust, no envy, no jealousy, no want. Hmm? Simple. <laughs> but enormous, hmm? enormous accomplishment. Hmm? I'm defining it, of course, in a negative way, but in but thereby in an observable way. And this is what this verse has done, hmm? in an observable way, in relation to the objective world. It's not part. He's not part. She's not part of the objective world. Not human. Hmm? There's much more to the qualification of a guru in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but you can be sure about one thing. If these things are not in place, shabde parejanishnatam brahmane upashamashrayam, those other things won't be there either. Hmm? You can be sure of that. Hmm? Therefore, they have pointed out this kind of verse. Look for these things. It's very practical. Hmm? And there may be some ambiguity. There are some, you know, some subjectiveness, who's really learned in the scripture, who's really free from greed and envy and lust and so forth. But with regard to the disciple, then it's easy. Hmm. Hmm. How interested I am in what, how much burning desire I have for the subject and so forth. So you should, that's another answer to how you'll find the guru. How do I know what is a bona fide guru? <laughs> you should learn what is a bona fide student. Hmm. As much as you put yourself in that place, then you're in a capacity to, to understand hmm? and learn hmm? and grow. So, in this way, I think that um, this is a very nice verse and the Goswamis have cited it repeatedly for good reason because, as I say, it gives some very practical guidance to us hmm? um, that if we can find it in place, in the context of bhakti, then it is implied or understood. Other things will be in place as well. And those are invisible things, if you will, that in time we will also be able to see and experience as we enter into kind of an adidaivic conception of guru. We see the guru in terms of of his or her sentiment for Krishna. Hmm? The Guru is directly Krishna in a representational sense. Krishna's here, here's his representative, so pay close attention. Hmm? We pay close attention. We, 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 we chant. Hmm? 
गुरुदेवाय विद्महे कृष्णानंदाय धीमहे These are the two sides. Krishnanandaya Dimahi, the sadha side, adidaivik side, in the full sense of the term. What the, the, the guru is one side representing Krishna. He's the tangible form of Krishna, God, coming before us, right, right in front of us. And the other side, he's a servant of Krishna, loves Krishna in a particular way. Hmm? has feeling for Krishna. And that comes through in all of the teaching. <coughs> how we get bhakti, we acquire sanskar without knowing. It's not an intellectual affair. Hmm? You get sanskars not intellectually. Hmm? Tendencies from bhakti, from association. It's stored in the citta. Hmm? They will inform our understanding, our development, our 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 end result hmm? by association hmm? so in time we come in touch with that side hmm? the side that carries on into the spiritual world the side, the one side directs us there the other side goes there with us hmm? after all we're not interested in Krishna but love of Krishna and the Guru embodies a kind of love of Krishna and of course Krishna is there in love of Krishna hmm? so hmm? This side is also there. Hmm? But that side will come, that's invisible, but it will become visible to us hmm? as much as we pay attention. Just like the same idea. The guru gave the disciple Nam, Mahamantra, the beads, everything. Your name is Krishna Das. Now you have a sadhaka deha. The disciple said, Gurudev, what about my siddha deha? Guru said, what, you don't like what I gave you? Did you use that yet? Hmm? Have you applied yourself in, in that with, with that? Hmm? Are your senses in touch with sense objects only for the satisfaction of Krishna? Hmm? But which will cause your mind to be thinking about it? Hmm? Come back when you do that. I've given you something to work with now. You work with that? Hmm? Hmm? So it will come. Hmm? But those in invisible things, it's useful to talk about to some extent, but in terms of searching for a guru, it's not that useful for us. My guru is a rasika, your guru is not a rasika. You know, this is... <laughs> who says? Says who? Hmm. So, these are a few thoughts on the principle of guru. I'll conclude there. Any question? Yes? What about in the beginning when you... <coughs> In the beginning, when you explained about uh, adiatmic, adibhautic, and adidaivic uh, perspectives on, uh, on on Krishna consciousness, it sounded very much like uh, what Bhaktivinoda in the Krishna Samhita calls Kanishta, Madhima, and Uttama. Similar, yeah. yeah. So my question is why you chose uh, the particular terms you did instead of... of uh, well, I don't know why. I think that uh, I think that I think that it's good sometimes to use different terms, um, which will shed more light on the terms that we use readily, but don't understand the full implications of. Hmm? 
And there's, I haven't written that introduction yet, but so I just talked about this for the first time here today. So I think that there's ways of playing out those words in the way that I've briefly explained them, such that they will shed greater light on the terms kanishta, madhyam, utam that we often use and perhaps don't know the, understand the implications of the full meaning of and, and so forth. So sometimes it's good to, uh, to explain the same thing in a different way, using a different terminology. It can help us to, uh, let's say, better understand terms which we use readily, but the implications entirely of which may not be um, within our grasp, and that then hinders us from from um, taking advantage. And um, also the term Kanishtarikari has a kind of a pejorative connotation, hmm? uh, as it's these days. Uh, and so to say that a guru explained it from a Kanishta, people think, oh, you mean he's a Kanishta, something like that. So I, I, I want to use that, that, that term. And there may be some differences also. Um, um, but yeah, they are, they are related, connected. Another question? Yes. You <clears throat> Maharaj, you mentioned about the bhakti and sukriti. So, um, bhakti uh, is independent. She doesn't uh, really um, depend on sukriti. But at the same time, we need the sukriti to get bhakti. So, um, I don't understand this connection. Um, because we need to have a sukriti, good sukriti to get a, or actually um, right guru who is um, representative of Krishna and uh, and Guru is actually faith for Guru is a backbone like for Bhakti so um, she's independent and at the same time we need Sukriti and uh, I'm confused about that okay yeah now the idea is that by being in touch with Bhakti we get some Bhakti Hmm? We get bhakti sukriti. This is uh, a term of bhakti vinod, but he does reference the Puranas. Hmm? Um, forgive me for not remembering the verse, but um, um, he does reference the Puranas. And his idea is that by contact with bhakti, there's a kind of bhakti we call swarup siddha bhakti. Swarup siddha bhakti. Just like chanting Hare Krishna. That is swarup siddha bhakti. So if you chant Hare Krishna and someone hears the chanting Hare Krishna, they don't know the meaning, nor are they they're interested in, neither are they interested in it, still they get some benefit. Hmm? So that kind of benefit is some some scar for bhakti. Some this is like if you touch fire you get burnt. Doesn't matter whether you think you will or not. Hmm? So they get some impression for bhakti. Hmm? They and then that predisposes them for more contact with bhakti. Hmm? At a certain point the contact of bhakti turns into what we call shraddha. 
faith in bhakti. Then one begins to formally tread the path. Hmm? But before you're formally treading the path, you're being influenced by bhakti. Therefore, we, we, for example, we think we, we, we use our intellect to decide whether to join bhakti, the bhakti mission, the sampradaya. But we are already predisposed by exposure to bhakti in some form. Hmm? That the arguments from Shastra, from our lineage, would resonate with us. Hmm? Because we already, Krishna already touched us. People say, well, love is voluntary. Yeah, in a sense, but, but Krishna voluntarily comes after you through his devotees, and even though you're not interested, just like you may not be interested in me, but I may be in love with you, so I may make the first overture. I may do something. I may try to please you in some way. Hmm? Maybe you'll come under my spell and you'll love me too. Hmm? So through the devotees, Krishna is making this overture to people, hmm? contacting them, touching them with bhakti. So they're getting bhakti from the devotees, but it hasn't yet taken the shape of shraddha. Hmm? Just like, let's say you plant a seed in the ground, and then when you see you're watering and then you see it comes up, you go, oh, here it comes, it's growing, right? But it was already growing underground, but you couldn't see that, am I right? Because it was, roots were going down and so forth. So without our knowledge, we come in touch with bhakti, bhakti influences us. After some time, with some knowledge of bhakti, we'll be in touch with bhakti. That will then turn into faith in bhakti. Faith in bhakti will turn into taking shelter of a guru. Hmm. That will take us towards bhajana kriya, the life of practice, and so forth and so on. So that's, that's not like sukriti is something different from bhakti. Hmm. When we say sukriti, we mean another way of saying it's like a bhakti sangskar, hmm. an influence of bhakti, hmm. disposing us, predisposing us towards bhakti. Hmm? So it's bhakti, giving bhakti. Does that help? But these people that, for example, the, hear Mahamantra, do they had already some kind of contact with bhakti? It's, it might not never happened, and that's the first time. It has to happen sometime, yeah. So that means that bhakti is independent? They don't need yeah. Sukriti for Bhakti to get Right, it. right, 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 right. Uh -huh. They don't need Sukriti to get Bhakti. They need Bhakti to get Sukriti. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. They don't need Sukriti to get Bhakti. No. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So there are different influences in the world. There's the karma influence, there's the jnana influence, there's the bhakti influence. So if you get influenced by karma, you'll have Sukriti for, for, for karma marg. Mm. If you get influenced by jnana marg, you'll have Sukriti for bhakti, for, for jnana marg. You'll have a disposition for Gyanmarg. If you get influenced by bhakti, and you're lucky, you have a disposition for bhakti. Hmm? Yes, Karna. Uh, Maharaj, this is also a question about cause of bhakti. And uh, you mentioned that uh, our intellect cannot be a vehicle uh, to bring, to take us to spiritual world because it is material. Uh, but 
in, uh, and it cannot be also the cause of bhakti, but it is also mentioned in some places in the Shastras, it's suggested that the jnana is the cause of bhakti. Like, for example, in Bhagavad Gita, in the second chapter, 51, Varas Krishna is saying that karma jantuti yoga stu tyakpa that uh, from Nishkam Karma Yoga, uh, Buddha Yoga is born, and then uh, one is free from uh, bondage of grief and death, and one is attaining Vaikuntha, Padam Kachanti Anamaya. So, uh, in commentary to this verse, Baladar Vidyabhushan, he, he is saying that uh, attaining of a realization of Atma, Atma Gyan, it's like. like it acts like lamp to, to see the Paramatma or, or God. So it seems that the Gyan is some, is some kind of way to the Bhakti. Uh -huh. It's the cause of Bhakti. Mm -hmm. Yes, but there are different types of Bhakti. So the same idea is given there in the 18th chapter of the Gita. Brahma Bhuta Prasannatmana Sochitina Kamsati Samasaveshu Bhuteshu Madbhaktim Labhate Param. So, one can realize the self without any bhakti. Sanatana Goswami says, that's how insignificant it is. Hmm. Without bhakti, you can realize the self. Atmaram. That means you can become a jivan mukta. Hmm. Liberated in this body, while the body, the prabhda karma is still unwinding. Hmm. But you cannot attain Brahman without bhakti. Therefore, Brahma Bhuta Prasannatmana So Chatina Kanshti Samasarbeshu Bhuteshu. This describes a jnani who is an Atmaram, self realized, hmm, who gets bhakti. And then by getting bhakti, he attains me. So he has knowledge, then he gets bhakti, right? By bhakti, he attains me. And what does he attain? He attains Brahma Sayuja, Gyan mixed with Bhakti, which is what he wants, or in a higher sense, he may attain Vaikuntha, Shantarasa. Hmm? So some Bhakti mixed with, with Gyan. If Gyan sheds light on the self, hmm, and in the context of doing so, one sees oneself to be part and parcel of the of the Paramatma. Hmm? Just seeing oneself to be part and parcel of the Paramatma is not enough to attain the Paramatma. Hmm? But by bhakti, then you can attain. That's but that's bhakti mixed with jnana hmm? for attaining. Shantaras or something less than that. Hmm? Does that help? You sure? Yeah, so this kind of mixed bhakti is possible to attain by jnana. Only pure bhakti is not possible to attain. Bhakti is pure, but there are different orientations to bhakti. Hmm? There may be a sattvic orientation to bhakti. Sattvic orientation is an orientation that, 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 that enables one to distinguish between matter and spirit. Hmm? 
such a person may engage in bhakti with a sattvic orientation. And so he will get sattviki bhakti. He will attain what can be attained by that. But uttam bhakti and the orientation, that orientation to bhakti, that is different than a, than a sattvic or, or a rajasic or a tamasic orientation of bhakti. Bhakti is bhakti. But people approach with different orientations. Hmm? Not that bhakti becomes sat tamasic or rajasic or sattvic. The orientation is different. It's not um, the orientation, for example, taught by Rupa Goswami, anyabilashitasunyam gyan karmadi nabritam. It's not faith in, Krishna says in Bhagavatam, faith in atma is sattvic, faith in me that is transcendental. Hmm? So there's a difference. Um, and there could be a mixture, I suppose, faith in Krishna, Gyan Mishra Bhakti. But there is some, you know, fine line. Hmm? Therefore, it is said, for example, there are four types of Gyanis. Hmm? Two will be successful, two will not. Who the two will not be successful in attaining their goal are those that disrespect bhakti, they will not be successful. Or they don't do any bhakti, they won't be successful. Those who are successful, they factor some bhakti into their life. At least they're not disrespectful for bhakti. Hmm? Maybe they have a little bhakti in their life. Then they can attain Brahma Sayuja or they can attain something like Shantaras, mixed with bhakti. Hmm? So little bhakti, now... By Nishkam Karma Yoga, there are different orientations to Nishkam Karma Yoga. You could have a theistic orientation or a non-theistic orientation. So if you have a theistic orientation, you give up the fruits of your labor and offer them to Bhagwan. Hmm? So this is like a, like Karma Mishra Bhakti. Hmm? But that Karma Mishra Bhakti, you're involved with Bhakti, so you could come to Shuddha Bhakti from there also. Hmm? From karma mishra bhakti, you can you can get jnana, hmm? and because there is some bhakti, hmm? this is kind of the idea of the verse I studied from Bhagavad Gita, Brahmaputra Prasanatma, Vishwanathakurti Thakur explained. Some little bit of bhakti is there. Hmm? He went from nishkam karma yoga, where he offered the fruits of his work, sacrifice to to, to Bhagwan. The ingress of knowledge came in. Hmm? You got Atma Gyan. Hmm? Then that little bit of bhakti that was already there hmm? comes to the surface and Mad Bhaktim hmm? He attains either Sauja or Shantarasan Vaikuntha, something like that. Same thing there in, in, in Yoga Sutra. The ideal of Yoga Sutra is to attain Shantarasan Vaikuntha, but not without, not, not without Ishvar Pranidhan. Hmm? So a little bhakti. So to perform uh, karma mishra bhakti or gyanam mishra bhakti, it is also required to meet devotees to have this secret. How can you do any bhakti without meeting devotees? Devotees wrote the you know wrote the books about bhakti, so the devotees are manifesting bhakti in the world in the form of shastra, hmm, in everything they do. I mean, 
Where is, where is bhakti outside of devotees? Where, where could you possibly get it? That's where it lives. It lives in the hearts of devotees. It's nowhere else. Where else? Where is it? You can't pick it from a tree. You can't dig it from underneath the ground. You can't. It's, it's only in bhakti. It's only in devotees. Hmm? That's where it comes from. Where else would it be? You could say, well, you go to the book, you get it from the book, you're reading the book. I read in the book, if I do bhakti, this is happening. But who wrote the book? Where did the book come from? Vyasa hmm? is a devotee. So the Shastra is coming from him. Bhagavatam is coming from him. Say, well, I read it in the Bhagavatam. You have to find out about bhakti. Hmm? What is bhakti? Hearing, chanting, okay. Navalakshan bhakti, to do those things. You have to get it from devotees. There's no way around that. Hmm? What else? Another question? Yes. You said that writing books uh, can be understood in this, uh, this um, broader perspective as, uh, uh, as as being lila also, and that, for example, yes, like you said, because farmers, this is uh, this can be understood in this in this uh, in, in this broader perspective, yes. Okay, so I have a question, maybe it's a selfish question, but maybe this will help my orientation. Is it possible to think of translation as a kind of leela? I mean... Well, what I said was something different. What I said is that writing leela books, hmm, writing about leela, hmm, so you can find leelas that were written by the Goswamis that aren't found in other books. Hmm, they're writing leela. So this is an adidaivic perspective. They're only they're only telling the stories of the Leela, no philosophy, okay. which you could do it as a, as a, as a as, from an adiatmic perspective too. And you memorize, and Radharani's feet have these things, and she wears this color, and you know, and so forth, and so. But they're writing the book, writing the Leela books. Hmm? They're only they're only also telling the stories and absorbed just in the stories, hmm? without understanding and needing to know any philosophical implications of them but they're at different ends of the spectrum. And they're, the difference is they're writing the leelas. They're imagining with a spiritual mind. Imagining is not the best word because from our point of view, it sounds like, well, that I means not real. I mean, but I'm telling you the subjective world is the real world. The, material, the objective world is not the real world. So it's coming from the, the mind of a pure devotee. That's reality. So the leela, they're writing leelas. That's what I meant. Now, I didn't just say writing books. Hmm? No. So, translating books. I, I don't say that tra- writing book is a leela. Writing book may be tattva, giving the philosophy, the teaching. Or it could be, you could be experiencing leela and recording it, and so forth. That You're not doing that by translation. No, no, no. Uh, sorry, I just... Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that they... This is, uh, that writing books and, and uh, coming and uh, bringing these stories closer is, in a sense, you can say, a part of the lila, that because they were writing books and they were not, you know, showing lila in a, in to, to, to common people. So, how can you just understand it, that they were writing books? This is like part of the lila because the books bring us closer to the lila. Like well, I think that understanding the tattva, the, the, the teaching, does give us some ground to stand on from which the leela can be accessed. Hmm? So that's the idea. Hmm? But writing about leela is one thing, writing about philosophy, the philosophy that under, underlies the leela is another thing. Hmm? 
Now, it is the leela of the gopis to write the bhakti shastras in the form of the Goswamis. Hmm. So they can write about philosophy. We can say it's leela, it's gore leela. Hmm. So you could say that writing about the philosophy is an extension of gore leela. Hmm. This is the... Uh, maybe you can think about it like that. Yes. Hmm. What else? Some rain, huh? That's good. Yes? Uh, if it's better to be more subjective, subjective uh, in life than objective, so in my understanding, it could be a little risky because if you are not mature enough, uh, it could uh, you'd create um, some egocentric or egoistic attitude. Uh, like, you know, that uh, my vision of life is the best one. Uh, can you comment this? Yeah. Um, of course, that's not exactly what I'm advocating. I'm, um, I'm advocating that there is a subjective world. Hmm? And there is some objectivity to it. It moves in a certain way, within certain parameters. We call that rasa-tattva. Hmm? So that, that is a subjective world. Hmm? It's like the, the imagination of God, but he imagines it in a particular way. Hmm? So there's some objectivity to it, hmm? that world. Now, what we are interested in is accessing that world. We, we, we are a unit of subjectivity. We're consciousness. We're not matter. Hmm? Right? We're consciousness, not matter. So we want to we'll be at home in the world of consciousness, in the subjective world. We're not at home in the objective world because we're like a fish outside of water here. We don't fit. Hmm? Um, we're trying to tweak the objective world to meet our subjective sensibilities. Hmm? And it's, it's not a good fit. So the teaching is to enter into the subjective world. Hmm? And it's the real world. Hmm? But there is some objectivity to what that world is. It's not your imagination. It's God's imagination. So you want to enter into the world of God's imagination. Now, if you are only, only enter into the world of your subjective imagination, that could be a problem for sure. <laughs> That's why then we have the Shastra to tell us, explain to us the nature of that world, hmm? to give the outline the table of contents, and so forth, the basic idea, the, the blueprint, hmm, so to speak. Hmm? And when we, 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 we learn that blueprint, this is helping us to be able to go there because we're learning what it's like, how it works, and so forth. Hmm? And then by practice, of course, by applying the teaching, we actually enter into there. But we're entering into God's imagination, not our own. So... Uh, we're not advocating that people just become live in their own subjective world and and uh, and, and think that their their way is right and everybody else is wrong or something like that. But no, to enter into God's world and it, it does have parameters. Hmm? What it what it means to be in that world and and what it, what it, what it, what what not. You can't just make it up. What is Krishna Leela, in other words? So that's the idea. We want to enter into 
the imagination of God. We were living in the in the in the dream of God. Vishmahavishnu who's sleeping. We want to enter in the daydream of God. Krishna, he's awake and he's imagining. I'd like to do this. And it happens. Bhakti facilitates. Now we're like I say we're in the night dream of God. That's Mahavishnu. He's mostly sleeping. Hmm? He's mostly sleeping and dreaming this world. We're in it. We want to go to the daydream of God. Hmm? That is his, his imagination, where he's a lot awake and playing. Hmm? And Krishna's always awake. Mahavishnu mostly also always sleeping. Hmm? Krishna, always awake. Even at night he's awake, all night. Hmm? The difference between the two spectrums, Mahavishnu and Krishna, is the measure of bhakti. Hmm? Much as bhakti is factored in, Krishna's awake and moving. Brahman is moving. Absence of bhakti, when Bhagwan becomes still, still, qualityless, formless, nirvishesh, Brahman. Mahavishnu some got some shape, some form, hmm? something to do, but not too much. Therefore, mostly sleeping. Hmm? Yoga nidra. We want to go to the daydream of God. So that's that's what I mean by the subjective world. It's not just whatever you think in your mind. That's why I said subjective. I mean subjective. I mean the world of pure consciousness, not just the psychic dimension. The mental world can also be called a subjective world, but it's not the subjective world proper. It's a subjective perspective on the objective world. That's what it is. Our mental world is a subjective perspective on the objective world. So the two are tied together. Hmm? It doesn't go beyond that. Our mental world can only be a subjective perspective on what is the nature of the objective world. The subjective, the subjective world proper, hmm? that's another thing. That's consciousness, free from the mind, free from thought. Hmm? And then we're entering into God's world, hmm? so to speak, proper. I mean, the whole thing is God's world in one sense, but you understand? So, therefore, yeah, it's not just that there, just whatever you think, but we learn to think according to what Revelation says reality is like. Hmm? Then we become fit to be a member there, so to speak. Hmm? It's just like, let's say you come to the United States and you live there and you want to become a citizen. Then you've got to pass a test. You've got to know there's what it means. Who was this president? What happened at this time? A few things like that. <laughs> and you become a citizen. So you have to know the rules. Something like that. So it's when I say to be subjective, it's not mean it's just you think whatever you like, and that would be that's a problem. And that subjectivity again is all tied to the objective world. That's why we say the, the psychic dimension of our experience is also material, because it's all preoccupied only with the material with the objective world. Does that help? Of the spiritual world, yes. it could be. There are differences there. There are varieties. So there are many varieties, mm-hmm. and but there is some similarity too. So there are the basic ground of the spiritual world is that the material ego, the psychic and physical 
dimension of our present sense of self has been deconstructed. Hmm? If that's not deconstructed, then you can't go to heaven with your shoes on. Hmm? You can't be material and enter the spiritual. So the two, you can't be objective, live in the objective world and live in the subjective world at the same time, something like that. So so that has to be deconstructed. So there are different faiths, hmm? like take Christianity, okay, there's a faith. Now the question is, is it an ego-effacing faith? At the core of that tradition, does it speak about deconstructing the material ego? Hmm? I would say yes, at the core it does. In its everyday application, in many instances, it, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's all about getting things and taking them with you when you go, something like that. So that, that doesn't happen. Hmm? You can't enter the spiritual world like that. But at the core of the teachings of Jesus, you'll find these things, the same things that we're speaking about. Hmm? You know, he said, drop everything, follow, come with me. He was just a wandering mendicant. Hmm? Even in the Old Testament, I think, the, the Jews were taken to the desert. Hmm? They were supposed to be nomads, never stay any place for too long, and so forth. It's part of the teaching. It's lost on, on many people today. So, so if you follow the Christian teaching in a, in a, in a real essential way, and you efface your ego, it's deconstructed, then you can love wisely. And then there could be angels and so many things, and you could experience them. The gates and all that stuff. And saints will be there. Why not? Krishna says it in the Gita. That I appear at different times to establish Dharma. Bhaktivinoda says that doesn't mean only in India. Other places he may come and teach Dharma according to that place also. Hmm? I manifest, you draw me home. Different places at different times. So it's possible. Krishna says, As they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So we have Narayan. How many how many forms of Narayan are there? Let's say Narayan is God. We say Narayan comes from Krishna, but all the different avatars coming from Narayan. How many are there? There's Kurma, there's Matsya, there's Nisringha. How many are there? Hmm? Varaha. Varaha. Yeah. How many are there? <laughs> Asankhya. Right. The Bhagavatam says Asankhya. They're name a few, but they're Asankhya. Unlimited. Unlimited. Hmm? So, there can be Father of Jesus too, form of Narayan. Why not? Hmm? Maybe a little different than what a lot of Christians are thinking about. It's possible. That's the teaching. But then some religious traditions, they aren't ego-effacing. They want to stay in the objective world and make that the, you know, take that with them, so to speak. So that's not happening. So not all religious ideas are, are valuable <laughs> or meaningful or truly religious or spiritual. Hmm? But some are. Hmm? And then, according to... You know, like, we say that in Vaishnavism, the different kinds of Vaishnavism. So some people get Sakiras, 
Vatsalira, some people go to Vaikuntha, some like Nasringa, Varaha, Kurma, these avatars. Hmm? So we extend that idea. But we lay this, we, we give this uh, qualification, qualifying note. As much as that teaching of loving God in a particular way also has includes ego effacing, then it has value. Now, what I've seen personally is that the more ego-effacing a person is in their orientation to a tradition, the more there will be similarities with Hinduism. Hmm? The more there will be sympathy to ideas like vegetarianism, like reincarnation. That's why India is called the mother of religion in the world. Hmm? She has many children, but she's the mother. That's my opinion. <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. Sisi Gornatinandaki Jai Gorivashnav Guru Param Paraki Jai Gor Bhakta Brindaki Jai Gor Premanandi Hari Bhakti